Well, today we're going to begin a new series on the book of 1 Peter, and we'll be spending the next several weeks exploring this, this little book that is absolutely rich with things to teach us, and it's incredibly applicable to us as members of an international church. And as we begin to examine what uh, the Word of God says here in the, the little letter of 1 Peter, hopefully that will become more and more clear. Now, what I want to do today is, um, you know, I like to use props, and what I like to do is, is recognize that some of us are visual learners, some of us are auditory learners, some of us are, are tactile, we like to feel things, and so I have some baskets here, and I have three things, and I want to pass the baskets around, and, and don't worry, I'm not going to tell you what these things are until we get closer to the end of the sermon, but what I want you to do is I want you to take a piece of clay... I want you to hold it. I want you to squeeze it a little bit. Get to feel it. I want you to take a coin, and um, I want you to feel what it's, what it's like, and I want you to take this gold stone and do the same. And as you do that, ask the Lord to show you which one of these, or maybe a combination of these, represents my life spiritually right now. Where am I, Lord? And where do you want me to be? Is my life like this piece of clay? Is my life spiritually like this gold stone? Or is my life like this coin? Which one reflects where I am right now? And so I'm going to invite my wife to take those two baskets, and there's one for each section, and there's one somewhere in the balcony. Whoever gets it gets to keep the coin. I have no idea what coin I put in that basket. So um, it's probably from Poland, so it, you may not get to use it for a little while. I don't know. All right, well, as we, oh, and there's a basket right, right down here. If you don't mind grabbing that and starting that one, thank you. Well, let's pause for just a moment uh, in prayer before we begin to explore this passage of Scripture. Heavenly Father, well, we thank you for your presence, and we thank you for the power of your word that, well, gives us instruction and speaks to our heart. And Lord, I pray today that well, that you would let me get out of the way and that you would speak in a clear way to each one of our hearts. Lord, show us where we are spiritually. Show us if our relationship with you is authentic, if it's real. Show us if there's compromise in our heart. And show us what it means to be holy. For that is what you have called us to be. So Lord, we ask for you to speak, for you to work. And Lord, to help us to not only listen, but to live what you tell us to do. In Jesus' great name, and for his honor, we pray. Amen. How many of you in this room are holy? See, see here's what happens when you ask a question like that. It's great. It's great because you're going... What am I supposed to answer? I think the answer is supposed to be yes. Okay, let me ask it this way. How many of you feel holy? All right, all right. There's a couple, a couple of you. You're there. All right, that's good. All right, how many of you in this room are a saint? All right, a few more of you have raised your hands. This is good. But there's a, there's a challenge with those words for us. Um, 
you know, when we think of a saint, oftentimes we think of, you know, this past, past week, um, Billy Graham graduated and went to heaven. And we think of Billy Graham as, man, the Lord used him in so many ways and, you know, you know 99 years of, of incredible faithfulness, or at least the time after he came to, um, came to know Christ personally as he was a teenager, and we think, man, now that's a saint. But oftentimes it's harder for us to see ourselves in that way. And what is even harder is to see yourself as holy. And, and to a degree, that's a good thing because we think of holiness as reserved for God. But here we're going to discover in, in the letter of 1 Peter that we're called to be holy, not as God is holy, but because God is holy. So we're going to see what the Lord has to teach us about being a saint and about being holy. Now, one of the reasons why it's difficult for us to really see ourselves as a saint is because some false teaching crept into the church in its history that put the wrong emphasis on what it means to be a saint. Back in the Middle Ages, there was some corruption in teaching because the church had drifted away from the Word of God. And so there was some false teaching, some errors that were coming up that um, really got in the way of us understanding biblical truth. And some of those false teachings were, number one, the veneration of saints. Now, the word veneration is a kind of a technical term. It means awe or reverence or worship or prayer to. Also, there was the veneration of relics. During the Middle Ages, they would, they would think, well, this item was touched by a saint, you know, this, this stone was touched by a saint, and it was used. In fact, this stone, I bet you didn't know this, this was the exact stone that David used to slay Goliath. And I happen to have it here today. Of course, I, I actually bought it at Naughty Ball, I think is the name of the store, um, over by Flora. But, you know, that's the kind of thing that would happen is people would take items, they would say this is authentic and it has some kind of great value, and so they would, they would actually pray to it. And it was an, a form of idolatry. Also, what grew into the church was an abuse of the authority of men over the scriptures. The rise of authority of priests and bishops and the pope in a way that was not in line with what the scriptures taught. And, and then finally, there was the selling of indulgences, where if you gave enough money, you could be forgiven. If you if you go into the, the different cathedrals that we have all across Europe, you'll notice that there are little side chapels absolutely everywhere. And from our perspective, if you didn't, if you didn't grow up within that tradition, you might look at that and go, why are there so many different ones? Well, that's because it was part of the selling of indulgences because what would happen is, you know, if you um, were trying to help your person, your, your loved one, um, make it into heaven in the, the way the false teaching had developed, what you would do is you had to have maybe 20 or 30 services for your loved one based upon how bad they were and what the authorities at that time told you. So you had to have all these services at once or have all these services, but it took a lot of time. If you had to do 40 different masses, 40 different services in order to try to see your loved one move on spiritually, that would take a lot of time. But you could make it a whole lot quicker if you did 30 or 40 of them all at once. And you just gave a lot more money, and then at each little side chapel, you know, in these different things, you would have a service. 
You see, it became about money instead of about worship. And the church became corrupted because we moved away from biblical truth. Well, that led to the, to the Reformation and some changes in recognition that things were not in accordance with God's Word. And so there were, out of the Reformation, there were five distinctives called five solas or in alones, these things alone, that came out of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura meant that the Bible, the Scriptures alone, are the final authority for all matters of faith and doctrine. Rather than tradition, rather than the word of men, it was the Scripture. Solus Christus meant Jesus alone is our mediator and Savior. And it was there to counter um, the practice of praying to saints or praying to relics. That the one that we go to is Jesus. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, according to um, 2 Timothy 2.15. The third sola that came out of the Reformation was sola gracia. We are saved by grace alone. Salvation is a gift of God's unmerited favor. We can't earn it. No matter how many chapels we build, we can't earn it on our own. It's a gift that comes from God. Sola fide meant that we are saved through faith alone in the merit of what Jesus has done on our behalf. He died the death that we deserved. He lived the life we never could. He died the death that we deserved. And he won salvation for us. And it is only through placing our faith in what he has done that we can have a relationship with God. And the fifth one, the, mo- the one that perhaps is the most important of all of them, is that everything is for the glory of God. Sola Deo Gloria. Everything exists for God's honor, to show His greatness and His beauty. And so that brought the church more back in line with what the Scriptures teach us. But what had happened is that some of those teachings, we had still lost the understanding of what it means to be a saint. That that's what God says we are. And here we find in 1 Peter, he's addressing us um, as saints. In fact, the, the, the whole letter deals with the topic of sanctification. And, and when you hear the word saint or you hear the word sanctification, Uh, I want you to think of one term, and Boyd, when he was praying, said this absolutely spot on. It means set apart. Set apart for God's purpose and for God's use. That's what it means to be a saint. To be sanctified is then the process of living like a saint. So let's go and let's look at this um, verse by verse. We're going to spend a little bit of time walking through these first nine verses in 1 Peter and what we're doing is we're trying to understand the identity of, of saint who. You know, um, if you, you think about the pictures that you see of saints, you know, they're kind of, they've got this halo around them and, you know, maybe they're in a you know, kind of an antique colored picture or whatever. And here's a picture of St. Barnabas or St. Peter or, or um, uh, St. Martha, whoever it may be. We're looking for the identity of saint who. And I hope what you discover is saying who is you. I know that sounds a lot like Dr. Zeus for those of you who are American, but just go with it, okay? All right, now I see people putting their coats on. Are you getting chilly? Okay. 
Um, Terry, could you go back there on the thermostat and push the plus button to take it up? All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Great start. It's telling us who's written this, who Peter is, and it's really important that Peter is the one who writes us these instructions because Peter is so like us. He is so common. He makes mistake after mistake after mistake, and yet he's writing to us as saints. He even denied the Lord, and he's writing to us as saints. I love Peter. Peter gives me great hope that no matter how badly I've messed things up in my life, God can turn it around. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, written to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, and then he lists some different cities in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They're in, in, in Asia, in the, the region of um, um, kind of Eastern Europe and um, in Turkey. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and, the, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now he starts this out by addressing it to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, those who are scattered. And, and actually those three phrases parallel what he says next. Because the elect points to um, according to the foreknowledge of God. The exiles points to the sanctification of the Spirit or being set apart by the Spirit. And the dispersion, the scattering, the being sent out points to those who are living in obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you to notice is it says that it's addressed to exiles, or the translation that you have in English may say aliens. It's the same word. It means those who are living in a foreign place. And, and that's most of us, right? Some, some of us here are Czech citizens, but most of us are not. We, we come from another place. But I want you to understand the reason why they are exiles is not because they're living in a foreign land. They are exiles because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They are exiles because this world is not our home. So even if the Czech Republic is your nation, it is your birthplace, this is written and addressed to you as well because this world is not our home. They are exiles, aliens, or strangers because they are saints. They have been sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the word in the Greek, in the original language, is hagiasmos, and it means holiness. And that it has a dual meaning to it. It refers to the process of being sanctified or holy and the condition of being holy, of being set apart. It refers to the activity of the Holy Spirit who works in us, who draws a person to salvation and applies to them the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us, but also it applies to his presence in us and the power of his word changing us so that we become more and more like Jesus. That's what the whole topic of this is all about. Sanctification is both our positional identity 
It's who we are in Jesus Christ, and it's a process of who we're becoming. And that's what this letter is ultimately all about. When you come to Jesus Christ by faith and say, Lord Jesus, I recognize I am a sinner, and that on my own, there's nothing good enough that can make me right with you. I need to be saved. I'm putting my faith, my trust in you, Lord Jesus, and what you have done You and I become a saint. We are given a position. We are justified, the scriptures would tell us, by what Jesus has done. And we are given his righteousness right now. It's not something we earn. It's not something we achieve. It's not something that happens when we get to heaven. It is a gift that we are given right now so that positionally before God, this is who you are. But oftentimes, There's a gap between who we are legally and how we live daily. And that's the process that comes in. And and the goal of our faith is to make our living match our legal identity in Christ Jesus as a saint. All right. So first of all, a saint is someone who is set apart by God. Now, that's a little bit easier for us to get our minds around because when you, than, than, than holy or even the word saint. This means that God has a calling upon your life. And that's why the verse begins with to the elect. This means that God knows everything about you because it says elect according to the foreknowledge of God. He knows everything about you, all that you're going to do, all that you've ever done. And he says, I want you. For me, there's a few things that are absolutely more mind-blowing than that. God sees all my thoughts, all my evil desires, and yet he says, I want you. I want you to know me. I want you to become my child. I want you to trust in my son and what he has done, and I want to transform you and make you into who I created you to be. That's so cool. You see, we've got to begin to see ourselves in that light in order for the change to happen in our heart. We have to see a glimpse of who God has saved us to be in order for the process to work by the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. A saint is one who shares Jesus' life by faith and shows Jesus' greatness in obedience and love. This is, this is what Ian was talking about last week, about beautify. You see, our mission in life is to reveal the beauty and greatness of Jesus uh, by our life becoming more like him, by sharing with others, by loving others as he has loved us, by showing his greatness and his beauty, we reflect who we truly are in Christ Jesus as being holy. So we're set apart. That means that God has a calling and a purpose on your life that is greater than anything else. And when you begin to look for that and identify and say, Lord, would you show me what that calling is, who you've made me to be, it changes everything. When you begin to see yourself not just as your career, not just as your family or your position in your family, as a husband or as a father, as a wife, as a as a, as a child or as a mother or a sister or brother, 
All those things are important, but it's not the ultimate call upon your soul and the truest identity of who God has made you to be. He has said, I have adopted you by the merit of Jesus Christ, made you my child, and I'm giving you a purpose that is greater than anything else. Because here's the distinction, and it becomes more evident to me as I get older. The career that I invest so much energy and life in comes to an end. Eventually, it will be forgotten. But what we do for Christ lasts for all eternity. Even our family relationships, as dear as they are to our heart, they're not as great as what it means to be a child of God, to live as his son and his daughter. That's what he's calling us to do. What Peter is doing in this, in this um, whole letter is he wants us to focus in on who God has called us to be. He reemphasizes it in chapter 2. Jump down to chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Look what it says. But you are, and I want you to notice, in fact, I want you to say that with me, except for change the you to I. But I am, but I am, say it out loud with me, but I am. This is a present tense. It's already happened. I am a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, I want to sing that song now. Into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's saying, this is who you are, saint, already. You don't have to wait. You know, I am confident that when Billy Graham this last week stepped into eternity, he heard, well done, my good and faithful servant, and he received the reward of his faith. But he's no more of a saint today than he was the week before or the week before or the year before that as far as his position because he had already had that in Christ. And so do you if you trusted him as Savior. He goes on then in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We need to understand, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago in, in the message on belonging, is that sin is an enemy that wants to rob us of the joy in the life that Christ gives us. We need to see it as being at war against us becoming who God has called us to be and enjoying his presence. And to do that, we need to see ourselves as a saint and you need to see yourself as an exile or an alien. You see, if I am so comfortable in this world, in this land, in this life, I will never live like a saint. I might go to church, I might do a few spiritual things, but I won't live like the person God's called me to be. I need to see that this world is not my home. I have a citizenship that is far greater in Christ Jesus. 
each one of us do. That's what links us together. That's one of the beauties of the church. In fact, one of the reasons why Jesus Christ is proclaimed worthy in Revelation chapter 5 He is presented with a scroll, a book from God the Father that no one can open, only Jesus Christ. And the reason he is proclaimed worthy to open that book is because he has redeemed people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and he's made them into a kingdom of priests and saints. Our citizenship is is in heaven, and no matter where we come from, what our cultural background, what our our heart language is, we are the same citizens of the same heaven, brothers and sisters united together as one. And the great power of the church in its witness is when people from from different backgrounds, from, from conflicts, come together in Christ and are unified as one. It shows the beauty of what Jesus has done because it shows that he has reversed the curse that broke us apart to begin with. Secondly, a saint is one who is set apart. And, And secondly, the identity of a saint begins with an understanding that he or she is set apart and lives as an exile in a foreign land. Now, that's a little bit easier maybe for us to understand than if you lived in the same town you grew up in all your life. Because we understand a little bit of what what it's like to live in a place that's different, that's foreign, where it's not quite our home. I've had the privilege of doing mission work in many, many different countries. And there were beautiful things about each one of them that I was drawn to. Whenever I would come back from from a mission trip, um, what did I want to do, Becky? Yeah, I, every time I said, boom, we're moving to Nepal, you know, and she'd go, what is, what is he on, you know, or whatever country I'd just come back from, that's where we were going, and it used to drive her crazy until I eventually got her, we moved, so <laughs> now she's together, yeah, but you know what, no matter how cool and wonderful it was, it was never home, and the truth is, even when I would go back to my home country, I discovered very quickly, it's not my home either. That the culture of that land is not who I am. It is not my home because I am made for heaven. I am made for God's kingdom and so are you. God chooses ordinary, common people and says, I want to make you a saint. I think it's significant that Peter is the one who writes this. He's an ordinary fisherman, a common laborer. He probably had very, very, uh, a limited amount of formal education. He, he is brash. He was outspoken. He tends to rush in and open his mouth long before he thinks. And yet, he's the one who's writing about being a saint, being set apart by God. And I believe the reason why God so often chooses the most unlikely Because maybe you're sitting here and the reason why you don't see yourself as a saint is you think, man, there's nothing in me that God could use. I'm not like person X or whoever else comes to mind. Let me tell you, God does great things with with common, ordinary things. He does great things with dirt. You and I are dirt. No offense, but that's what we're made out of. We're made of the earth. God breathes life into us and made us into human beings. 
It's what he did with Adam and Eve. He can do amazing things. And I believe one of the reasons why he so often chooses that which is common and ordinary is because then all the glory goes to him. Soli Deo Gloria. It is all Christ's glory. So Peter is writing to an unlikely group of people who have been scattered by persecution and they're living outside of their homeland and they're dwelling as strangers and aliens, as refugees in a foreign place. But he's pointing to a deeper truth that transcends the national boundaries um, that were there. It was pointing to the fact that this is who you truly are. You're an exile here on earth sent on a mission for God. You're ambassadors, as Ian said last week, in a foreign land. That's who we are and what we're called to do. Well, let's go back to the first few verses there and see what he says again. Peter, an apostle, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. We are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. God, the Father, elects us. He chooses us. That's a complicated subject, and we're not going to take the time to look in it. We're just going to see what the Scripture says, because that's exactly what it says. It says, somehow his foreknowledge plays into this. I don't exactly know what it is, but when we see this in the same, same way that we see it in Romans chapter 8, both Paul and Peter tell us the same thing. It's a component. It works in there that's important. And, and, and here's the thing about the foreknowledge of God. Because he knows everything and he sees the past, present, and the future all at once, he cannot not know something. I know that's not good English, but it's good theology. Okay? He knows it all. He just does. But then, what are we elected for? What are we chosen for? Well, we're set apart or we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This means that when he calls you, he put, it's like he, he, he puts his hand on you and he says, you are mine and I have a purpose for you that is like no one else's. It is distinct. You have been chosen by me to reveal the greatness of who I am. You've been chosen to share the life of my son, the merit of what he has done. And I am setting you apart. I am sanctifying you by the Holy Spirit who I've given to you as a guarantee, as a deposit to live inside of you until the resurrection. And then what are we set apart to? It tells us here, we're set apart to obey Jesus, to obey Jesus Christ, the Son who purchased our salvation with his blood. He cleanses us of all sin and forgiveness. That's the sprinkling of the blood. Um, and he sets us apart for his will and his purpose. So we're set apart to obey Jesus. We're set apart to share Jesus' life and to show his greatness through love and obedience. When you understand that that's our calling, obedience to God becomes far more of a joy and less of a burden. It's a privilege because it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us that we're able to obey him and bring him honor and glory. And then when we understand those things are true, there's a blessing. I want you to look at the last part of that verse. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. When you begin to see yourself 
as called by God, as living as an exile here in this land, set apart, sanctified by the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ, when you begin to see that, God will abundantly pour out his grace and peace upon you because you're becoming more and more like his son. He will give you the resources that you and I need to show the greatness of who he is. He gives us grace and peace in full measure. Now, what you should be thinking about in this is that that doesn't mean everything's gonna be prosperous and wonderful. In fact, the next verses go on to talk about trials. He's not saying that this is gonna be comfortable. He's not saying that you know, you're going to have prosperity and, you know, great wealth and everything's going to be easy and no one's ever going to get sick. He's saying, no, this is who you are and I will give you the resources of grace and peace that you need to live for me when you trust in me and follow me. But if I'm an exile, I'm not going to be comfortable and at home. You need to understand that comfort is the desire of the ordinary person who doesn't see that God has a higher calling upon the life. And to a certain degree, this clay represents every one of us. We're all made of the same stuff physically. Um, but what happens with clay is clay conforms to whatever pressure is being placed upon it. The more pressure that you place on the clay, the more it begins to look like that which has put pressure on it. And if my life is not seen as one that is set apart, that I'm simply seeking the comforts of this life and to conform to this world, I will look more and more like the world around me. That's why Romans tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the changing of your thinking, that by the testing of your faith, you may discern what is the will of God, what is that good and acceptable and perfect. So the clay that we passed around represents if my life is comfortable or I'm seeking just comfort rather than Christ, chances are I'm conforming far more to the pressures of this world than I am to the reality that I am an exile and an alien who's been set apart by God to be on mission for him. Peter goes on and emphasizes this in verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God's saying, I want you to become more like me. Now, you're not holy as God is holy because there's a distinction in the scripture when it talks about the holiness of God. Oftentimes, even as we sang, it is a threefold holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. God is set apart and set apart again and set apart again. He is different than we are. But because he is holy, that should be the defining characteristic of our life, is that we should look more and more like Jesus in being set apart for his purpose and his use. The reward of a saint is the blessing of grace and peace. 
May grace and peace be multiplied to you. As we live, he gives us the resources. And he goes on to say that not only do I give you grace and peace, but I'm offering you a true inheritance, a true homeland. Look at verses 3, 3 through 5. Because saints will obtain an everlasting inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter wants us to know God has an incredible reward for us. His grace and peace will be a constant companion here in this life as we seek to live for him. And the reward of his presence will be immeasurable, an inheritance that can never pass away. You know, oftentimes we we spend a great deal of our time and our energy trying to save up for those days of retirement. We want to build a portfolio and investment. And and, and we know just by, by looking at the news how volatile the financial markets are. But he's saying this inheritance is absolutely foolproof because it is held by God himself. No one can take it away from us. It is a gift that we can count on when we live for Christ. And what he's calling us to do, what Peter is urging us to do, is to live for what lasts. That's what I want to challenge each of us to do, is Lord, show me how to live for what lasts so that my life will reflect the greatness of who you are. Look at the last part of of these verses, verses 6 through 9. In this, you rejoice. We rejoice in the fact that we're exiles. We rejoice in the fact that we've been set apart. We rejoice in the fact that we have an inheritance that is held in Christ Jesus for us. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him um, now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Trials prove the faith of a saint. This is one of the main themes of 1 Peter. The difficulties that we walk through do not define us, but how we respond to them does. God will use trials to make you and I more like Christ. And that points us kind of to the coin This particular coin is 99.9% pure silver. It began as a rock in the earth that then was placed under heat time and time again until all the impurities were burned off 
so that only that which was pure would come through. And it is given a a set value, a value that cannot be taken away. And what is more, on a coin, you not only have something that's made of of a precious metal like silver or gold, but it also has an imprint, a character on it. And it's a picture of what it means to be in Christ, that we bear his character, and that he is using trials in your life and in my life to burn away the dross, the impurities, so that we can shine more and more like him, so that what is seen is less of me and more of Jesus. That's what he's encouraging us about, is that the trials that we face ultimately are for God's glory and our good. They may not feel like it at the time, but God will use them to accomplish great things. Because our faith, the faith of a saint, is more precious to to God than gold. It is the greatest treasure in all the universe that when we live a life of obedience to Christ, it brings honor to God, joy to his heart, and he says our faith is precious to him. Well, I'm out of time, and and so I'm not going to make it through the rest of this, but I want you to think about those three things. Is your life most like clay? Are you trying to do things to honor the Lord, but when you really examine your life, are you much more conformed to the world around you and to what it says and what its pressures are? Or are you more like a coin that God is continuing to make purer and purer to show the value of your faith in Christ and to point and reflect His glory in you and through you. Coin is something that is set apart for a purpose. It has value, just like you and I do. Which one of these two defines your life? Or maybe, maybe you're here today, and the truth is, this stone defines your life. This is just an ordinary rock painted gold. Looks kind of pretty, but it's kind of like us trying to be right with God in our own strength. It's just paint over common, ordinary, worthless rock. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, we have nothing that can allow us into His presence because our works, no matter how we paint them up, aren't good enough, only what Jesus has done. This can also be a definition of our life even after we've come to faith. We still can be putting ourselves forward. It still can be trying to make ourselves look good rather than to have God be glorified in the person of Jesus Christ through our life. So would you ask the Lord, which one of these shows me who I am right now with you? And Lord, change me. Draw me into your presence and make me more like who you have saved me to be. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would take the truth of your word and Lord, you would allow it to sink deep into our hearts. 
Lord, maybe even this week, you'd, you'd help us to meditate on these verses, to read them over and over again, and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and change us, Lord, so that we can live as saints. For that's what you've called us to be. Lord, I thank you for each and every person in this room. For you love them with a love that is absolutely immeasurable. Today, may they know you in a way that they've never known before. Lord, I ask for you to speak deep into our hearts and change us. Bring those who've never trusted you to faith this day to call upon the name of Jesus for the first time and say, Lord Jesus, would you save me? For others, Lord, would you call them to see that they've been living their life for themselves and their life really reflects more of the world around them than being a saint. And then, Lord, for those that know you well, would you encourage our hearts to live our life for you in all that we do? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.